Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Who is you? We're still working on subject-verb agreement, but he's only two years old, so cut him some slack. Um, One of my favorite things about being a father uh, to a two-year-old toddler is the brave, bold, and completely unashamed introductions that he gives of himself to unsuspecting adults. Hi, I'm Julian. What's your name? That's usually how the questions go, but not this time. It was two weeks ago that my son and I went to the playground, and as we were getting on the swings, he looked at the grandmother who was pushing her granddaughter uh, next to us, and he didn't ask, what's your name? He looked right at her and said, who is you? Now, perhaps I'm reading into this maybe a little bit too much. I'm perhaps pretty certain that my son meant What is your name? But this morning, I want us to think about that question. Who are you? Who are you? And not what's your first name? What's your last name? Not who are you as in what roles or titles do you have at your place of work? Not whose spouse are you or whose children uh, belong to you? And yes, that one's mine. But who are you? If someone asked you that question honestly, stripping away all the superficial labels that you maybe put on yourself, what would you say? Who are you? We're in the second week of this sermon series called New Year, New You. And so it makes sense that we take a second to really find out who you are, who I am, and ask that question. What the question, who are you, is getting at is a matter of identity the degree to which you can answer that, you are certain in the identity that you have. Because you see, understanding your identity is, it's not just answering the question, who are you? It's being confident in your response to that answer. I'm going to say that again, that identity and answering the question, who are you? It's not just that. It's, it's having confidence in how you would respond to that question. So who are you? People look for confidence and look to establish their identity in a number of different ways. I mentioned some of them before. Maybe it's by the titles you have or the roles that you have in life. It's the fact that you are a a spouse to someone else. You're a father to children. You're a son to parents. I'm a member of this church. I'm this in my workplace. I'm a citizen in this city, in this state, in this nation. People look for titles, maybe their roles. Maybe someone else looks for self-assurance in establishing their identity by going to their superlatives or uh, special abilities they have. I'm the best at this. I am the most gifted, the most learned, the most creative, the most beautiful, the most organized. And so it is that 
people who look to superlatives or maybe look to titles, they oftentimes look outside. They look to other people's opinions of themselves when forming their identity. But not everybody. You know, some people establish their identity. They answer that question, who are you? By looking to themselves. Their opinion is the only one that matters. Their thoughts about their appearance. Their thoughts about their sexuality. Your thoughts about your gender, your thoughts about your abilities, your successes, your excesses, your failures. This is what determines who you are. There's a variety of ways that people go about determining their identity and go about establishing self-assurance and confidence in who you are. But what do you do when you wake up and who you are is not who you wish to be? What do you do when you can't answer that question, who you are, and you can't do it with the confidence that you'd like? The title gets stripped away. The aspirations for that position are closed. It's not possible. The identity that you really built your life around, being a man or a woman of integrity, or being a really great husband or a really great mother, gets put into question because of something you did. What then? What happens when the opinion they, you thought they had of you, well, they expressed to you, that's, that's not the opinion they really have. What do you do? What do you do with your identity then? What do you do with your confidence when you find out that all of the superlatives you thought belonged to you? Well, you're not the best. You're not the most this. You're not the most gifted musician. You're not the most creative individual. What happens when it's something you do that permanently alters maybe your relationship with somebody? Maybe your appearance what do you do? What do you do when you wake up and you are not the you that you wish you were? What then? Well, if you've ever wondered that, you've come to the right place because this morning we're looking at two basic ways that you can answer that question. What do you do when you want to be a new you? Here's the first, ready? We're gonna call it words from Starbucks. And that requires a bit of an explanation because you're not gonna find that anywhere else. I made that up this past Monday. Um, I went to Starbucks and what I did is ordered my coffee and then I waited at the end of the counter and I noticed that there was a board that had a bunch of like sticky notes uh, or post-its on it. And curious, I walked over to see what it was. And in the middle of this big board, it said, take or leave a good word. And it looked like a lot of people had been writing and using the post-it notes and taking them for themselves. Can I read you what some of those sticky notes said? It said this. It said, believe in yourself. Know that you can. You are beautiful. You're a difference maker. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Stay true to you. And hard work is always worth it. That's what it is. That's what it said. And that's why we're calling this first way that you can go about thinking about how you can be a new you, words from Starbucks. Not because it originated with Starbucks or not because I'm picking on Starbucks in any way, but simply because this is the way that the culture, our culture answers the question that you can be a new you. Just 
change, just improve, just believe more, do more, work in yourself, look to yourself. And if it's the people around you, just change the people that you're surrounding yourself with. Does that work? I met Kent in the month of January, a couple Januaries ago. And Kent was one of those people who really truly walked into a room and just lit the room up with his personality. He had a contagious laugh. He was high on life. All of these things that were positive about him. And even if you tried, you couldn't dislike Kent. My friendship, my relationship with Kent, it progressed rather quickly because he added me on Facebook very soon after that. And I got to see why Kent was the way he was. Every single day, there was a motivational quote about how change starts with the man in the mirror. There was some kind of thought-provoking idea that he put out about how you are the sum total of the people that you surround yourself with. There was always an inspirational idea about self-discovery and the journey of life that we're all on. There was always motivational mantras or declarations that he was making into the world about the difference he was going to make or the change that the people in his life could expect to see. It was no secret that Kent wanted to be a new version of himself, and he wasn't ashamed about it. It was interesting. For some people, it's maybe even inspiring. And then, and then Christmas happened, and I saw a post from my friend Kent that was unusual compared to all the other ones. It was simple. It said this, can't wait for the new year. Can't wait to kiss this year goodbye. Ugh. What happened? What happened? What should be history for you? But the way that our culture tells us that you can be a new you by changing more, if you want to understand who you are, if you want to have more confidence, just change the people you surround yourself with. Just believe in yourself. It doesn't work. Words from Starbucks eventually fail. Because even if you surround yourself by people who love you and lift you up and support you, even if you tell yourself that you love you yourself very, very much, even if you pack onto a three-by-three three card all the positive things you can ever think of or have ever heard, eventually, people in your life are going to let you down. Eventually, all the self-talk, you're not going to believe it. Eventually, life is going to happen. And what then? What's going to happen to your identity, to your confidence then? Your confidence is going to shatter and you're going to go through an identity crisis only to go through this vicious cycle all over again of seeking out more motivational mantras, more inspirational ideas, more thought-provoking philosophies that tell you about who you should surround yourself with. And you are going to come up empty again and again, because that's what words from Starbucks do. Words from Starbucks, they leave us with emptiness. They don't leave us with confidence. They don't stand the test of time. It might work for a day. It might work for a while, but not forever. That's why I'm thankful that we're not just left with words from Starbucks to figure out how we can be a new you in this new year. Now, the other the other words that are given to us are words from Scripture. And it's words from Scripture that 
tell us how we can really and truly be a new you. The words we're looking at this morning, they're from Christ's baptism. They're the biblical account of Jesus getting baptized. And what you notice in these verses, it's only five short verses. It's only 108 words in English. But what happens here in Matthew chapter three is that God answers the question for Jesus about who this is, who Jesus is. And in doing so, he answers the question of who is you, <laughs> of who you are as well. Let me show you. In the account, we read this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. God the Father took the opportunity of Jesus' baptism to publicly and proudly proclaim who this is that showed up on the scene. It was the Son of God. It was the Messiah. It was the one that he talked about for ages to come who is finally here. It was for Jesus and his benefit that his dad told him, I'm proud of you, son. It was for the benefit of those who are listening but it's for the benefit of you and I as well, so that without any doubt, we can look to scripture and know for a fact, and we'll sing it later, that he is my prophet, priest, and king. This is the time where Christ steps in, where Christ begins, and he is here for me. We find this out. First of all, who is Jesus? One, he is the beloved son of God, but he is not only that. He tells us so much more. This story begins when Jesus comes to John the Baptist. And he says to John, John, I want you to baptize me. And he humbly defers. He says, no, no, you are the one that I should be coming to. Jesus says, no, no, this, this must happen. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Who is Jesus? Jesus is not only the beloved son of God, Jesus is the fulfiller of all righteousness. Here at Jesus' baptism, Jesus did what he did time and time again. You know it throughout scripture. He fulfilled the righteous decrees of God, what he commanded to do. God sent his prophet, John the Baptist, and said, be baptized. Jesus said, all right, I will do that. And here, as he does time and time again, he fulfills all righteousness. He does what's right, in the eyes of God. And you know what that means for you? It means you're right in the eyes of God. Here at his baptism, when he fulfills all righteousness, God gives you his righteousness. He gives you Christ's righteousness. See, no matter how many motivational mantras, inspirational ideas, or thought-provoking philosophies you can find about how you can change, believe more, do more when it comes to yourself— you're always going to be emptied. That's what words from Starbucks and, and words from our culture do. They leave you with emptiness. But words from Scripture, they leave you with righteousness in Christ. Christ fills you with his righteousness. He takes all that he has and he gives it to you. He dumps it on you and he gives you that which you lack. He gives you his righteousness. Being the hero of your own story, it's not something that you are qualified to do. But in Christ, he says your life, your year, your worth, your identity, your confidence, 
It's not about what you do or what you've done. It is all fulfilled in me. It is Christ for you, taking his righteousness and pouring it into you. And he does it through his baptism. He does it through your baptism. Let me say that again. Christ gives you his righteousness and all of his gifts because of his baptism and by your baptism. And you might be saying, all right, how? Matt, how does that actually work? That sounds theoretically nice and theologically like a thing that happens, but how does that work? How is it that righteousness is mine through my baptism? Paul answers that question in our, in our lesson from Romans. He says this. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know? that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That's what happens in baptism. In baptism, you die. In baptism, you're buried. Do you know that's actually what takes place? It's a very cute ordeal, but when we set up the baptismal font up here and we bring little, cute, adorable babies up here, do you know what we actually do? We put them six feet under. That's what's happening. And no, don't get all grossed out about it because it's not a physical death. It's a spiritual death. What happens is our old self, our sinful nature, and all that it is that separates us from Christ, that dies, that gets put away. All of the ideas we have about how we can form our identity on things outside of Christ's righteousness, gone, buried, done. All of the ideas and notions we had about being something outside of who Christ's righteousness makes us, buried, it's gone. You want to know what's better than a new you? It's a buried you. A buried you is better than a new you because that's what happens to you in your baptism. You get made a new you because the old you is dead and gone. It's done away with. And if this all sounds a bit too morbid for you, don't forget who you're buried with. Paul goes on to say it like this. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, there's a reason for this, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you know what this means for you? Because you died with Christ, you lived with Christ. Because you are united, made one with Christ, everything that is Christ is now yours. His forgiveness is your forgiveness. His holiness is your holiness. His peace is yours. His joy is yours. His righteousness is now your righteousness. All these things are yours in Christ. His newness, his newness is yours. You are made a new you. And you know what that means? That, that means for you that, that the new you is no longer affected by, is, is no longer identified with the old you. Talking more about this baptism and new you connection, Paul says this in, in Galatians chapter three. He says, you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. What is Paul saying here? 
he is not saying that once you are baptized, once you are made one with Christ, you are no longer your ethnicity. You are no longer a Jew or a Gentile. He is no long, he's not saying that once you are baptized, you are no longer uh, defined by your roles, the uh, slave or free. He's not saying that once you become one in Christ, your gender doesn't matter. No, what he's saying is that once you are baptized in Christ, these things, your gender, your ethnicity, your roles, your titles, what you do, those don't define you. Those are not the things by which you derive your confidence. Those are not the things on which you base your answer to the question we're asking. Who are you? It's, it's not those things any longer. No longer do you take who you are based on your role as a parent, your role as a husband or wife. That doesn't define you. No longer is your confidence in your ability to do this or not to do this, in your success at doing this or your failures to do this. Your opinion, your, your identity, your confidence, it's not formed by their opinion or my opinion. Your confidence and your identity, it's not even established by yourself. It's, it's established by something much bigger than yourself, much better than you. The righteousness that you have in Christ, the righteousness that God gave you in Christ. And now you're starting to be able to realize you can answer the question. Quite simply, you can answer, who are you? You see, the proclamation that God gave to his son at his baptism that this is my son in whom I am well pleased, those are the words that Christ speaks to you in your baptism. This is my daughter. This is my son in whom I take all pleasure, in whom I take so much delight. That is who you are. Because you want to know it's better than even a buried you? You want to know it's better than even a new you? It's a baptized you. It is a baptized you because it is in your baptism that you get intimately connected with Christ, clothed with his righteousness, and all of his gifts are given to you. Imagine living out of that. <laughs> Imagine if each and every day you woke up remembering that. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you thought of your pinky toe? Likely, I'd be willing to bet it, it wasn't until I mentioned it. I mean, after all, unless you stubbed your pinky toe this morning, you didn't think about that. And I'd go even further. I, I'd be willing to bet that 99% of you didn't think about your pinky toes this week. Why? <laughs> it's not because your pinky toe somehow ceases to exist, or your pinky toe doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it's because for average adults, we don't define ourselves by our pinky toes. Our confidence doesn't flex or fade <laughs> because of our pinky toes. And so it is with yourself in Christ. <laughs> It's not like you and yourself and your ego simply cease to exist or cease to be. No, no, it's, it's very much there. But it's simply not the thing that defines who you are. It's, it's not the thing that we base our identity on. But that's real hard. It's real hard to go through life and remember that. It's so much more enticing to live basing my identity and, and my confidence on my popularity 
their opinion of me, the quality of work that I do, whether it's professionally or personally. It's so enticing to define yourself by that. And it, it's easy to see why. It's because it's you can see those things. In, in, in such a way, you can, you can tangibly see that, well, I'm good at this, I'm bad at this, I've passed at this, or I failed at this. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to define ourselves otherwise by the righteousness that Christ gives? It's because it's a spiritual thing. It's because it's, it's something that, that Christ proclaims to us in our world, in, our, in his word, in our unspiritual eyes in this world, we don't see. So God actually, he took another step and he gave you a really great gift. He gave you baptism. And it's, it's in baptism, a thing which is very, very much seen, where the unseen becomes a reality for you. Where, where all of the gifts that God gives you, he, he promises you in your word, he gives them to you. The old you dead. All the old ways you defined yourself and, and based confidence and, and find fulfillment in life, dead, gone, buried, six feet under. <laughs> and what's raised is a new you, a new you made new in the blood of Christ. I asked you about your pinky toes. <laughs> Let me ask you this for real. When's the last time you thought of your baptism? No, seriously, what, when is the last time you paused and reflected on what your baptism means for your daily life? What if we did that? <laughs> what if we lived every single day remembering the gifts that Christ gave you in the waters of your baptism? What if we put our baptismal certificates around our homes in, in, in such ways where they were prominently seen daily? What if we celebrated our rebirth just as much as we celebrated our birth? What if when you feel low, you feel like a failure, you feel like a new you and the anxiety and the depression and the stress sets in, you know, you didn't tell yourself that, oh, I'm the best or I'm beautiful or I'm better than this. You told yourself, I'm baptized. <laughs> what if we did that? Well, if we did that, <laughs> we'd be able to answer with confidence who you is. <laughs> Because you are made new in Christ. Amen.